The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This is Working Podcast, where we offer the leaders of today an opportunity to share their knowledge with the leaders of tomorrow. Each of our podcasts draws from a live conversation I had on LinkedIn. You'll hear that leader's top takeaways alongside analysis and deeper dives from me and my colleague, Nina Melendez. Hi, Nina. Hey, Dan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. You were on TV recently. I was. I was. Yeah, I was on the Today Show talking about top companies, which is our list of the best companies for your career. And we do this exclusive with the Today Show. So yeah, you saw it? I did. Yeah. I thought it was really cool that all of the hosts remarked on your new hairdo. That was super weird. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been going on the show monthly, basically. Uh I love that they invite me back. And we usually talk about data or what's going on in the professional world. And this time, it was a real focus on my hair. Al talked about it. Craig talked about it. The the segment ends with him saying, I like your new hairdo. I mean, for the podcast listeners who can't see your hair, it's much longer than it used to be. Yeah. And it's very curly. Yes. So for 25 years, I've kept my head shaved. Yeah. And then over uh, this Christmas, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to start growing it out. I'm going to see if I still have it. And I grew it out. And the Today Show noticed. Are you happy with the way it looks? Nina, I, th- I hope we spend the whole podcast talking. <laughs> this is now, this is <laughs> this is working as now a uh, podcast focused on hair care. Uh, yeah, I think it's fine. Although I never know what to do with it. The nice part about having your head shaved uh-huh. is that you look exactly the same in the morning yeah. as the night before. Yeah. It's super easy. So yeah. now I actually have to care for it. But I have three kids, two of whom have super curly hair, uh-huh. and they have been coaching me on what I need to be doing. Oh, so that's cute. It's real bonding with my kids. I that's love it. That's great. Yeah. Dan, you had a really phenomenal conversation on This Is Working a few days ago. Yes. Uh, we talked with Coltrane Curtis, who is the co-owner and the founding uh, partner of Team Epiphany which is one of the largest independent ad agencies. Uh, it's been around for almost 19 years. It is a multicultural agency that works on incredibly cool experiences. And they really started this idea of influencer marketing. And Coltrane is someone who just spends his life trying to understand what's going on and what's changing in culture and why people pick up certain brands or do certain things they do. And I thought it'd be great to have him on This Is Working, sharing it with the professional world. He's had quite the eclectic background as well. He used to be an MTV VJ. Yeah, he was an editor of a fashion magazine. He worked on the floor of Ralph Lauren. He worked for Mark Echo in marketing. He was a photographer. Uh, So he's done a lot of things. You know what I thought was really interesting was his take on celebrity and that celebrity by itself isn't what's cool. It's the posse around the celebrity that's making the celebrity the celebrity. And I remember a couple of years ago, I heard there was a rock star who was talking about their stylist. And I thought, wait, the rock star has a stylist? Like I thought the way that this rock star dressed was them and was the way they dressed. But no, they had someone coming in, putting them together. And It makes sense that Coltrane would want to tap, not so much the rock star, but the person who's dressing the rock star. Totally. What Coltrane identified is exactly what you're pointing out. You'd rather have the stylist behind the scenes on your side and on your team. They know what's going on. You'd rather have those people. 
When I left MTV, I started our agency called Team Epiphany. Everybody wanted me to kind of like create it around celebrity, but it wasn't really like a differentiator for me, right? Like you can go work with, you know, Steve Rifkin at Loud, right? Like you can go work with, you know, Rob Stone at Fader, right? Like you can go work with these different people who actually had, or Stout, right? Like you actually had a deeper connection to the actual talent in terms of management and creating contracts. But the differentiation point for me, my dad told me that the world doesn't need another agency. What's your differentiation point? And our differentiation point was not just the celebrity, but it was the people who created the celebrity and the ecosystem that built them. And so our philosophy at Team Epiphany is we have access to the network and the teams of people who build celebrity. And if we can empower that network of people to work for brands, we got something. And so that was that was 2004. And our tagline was we influence influencers. Um, talking about being early or too early. Like I think everybody's using like trendsetters or tastemakers. But for me, it was really a big thing because that's where my deep personal connectivity was, was to all of these stylists and the publicists and the writers and the creative directors. And so ultimately, you know, what we did 19, 20 years ago is what we do now, which is basically empower these kind of creatives to work for brands. And now these people are called influencers or creators or all these different things. But the reality is they drive global culture. And we're basically connected to the hip, to this ecosystem that is kind of like blind. You're kind of like most consumers and, and brand folk are blind to this, this kind of like community. But the reality is these are the people who are influencing the influencers that you generally find being paid and celebrated today. I think it's crazy that in 2004, he invented the word influencer. Yeah, this was before social media was really a thing. So Before Instagram, before all of it. Yeah, there were no numbers, there were no metrics. He just knew people who were kind of driving the culture. And he said, these are the people that you want to be driving your brand. It's very smart. Incredible foresight, too. Yeah. And I think Coltrane was always thinking about this question of who influences who. Are you someone who is influenced by marketing? Or heavily influenced by marketing? Because we all are, right? I can't imagine anyone is not, right? I mean, I'd like to think I'm not, but I assume I am. I know I am. Yeah. Let's just be, let's just be fair. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. There were definitely points in my life where there was no question. I was looking around all the time trying to figure out what I should wear or what I should listen to. In the mid-80s, hmm. I would ride my bike down to the street in Louisville and buy Kangol's because I was very influenced by Run DMC and LL Cool J, that that was the right hat to be wearing. And I got to tell you, that was not the right hat for me to be wearing. But it was those guys, I was like, they wear Kangles, I need to be wearing a Kangle. <laughs> are you surprised that companies are still out there chasing celebrities? Like, wouldn't you expect that to be a known thing by now? Why do people still want uh, Matt Damon to hype their cryptocurrency? Why are they not looking? Why isn't everyone looking for the influencer behind the influencer? Because the influencer behind the influencer is not recognizable. They're the shadows in the dark kind of making things move. People are enamored by the final product, which is a celebrity. There's no way that it doesn't work, but it just surprises me. I just don't understand who sees the celebrity on TV talking about some car or some soft drink or some product and says, yep, I need to have that also. The Kangol thing. Yeah. But you know what? This is what I think is different, is that those guys, Run DMC and LL Cool J, when they wore Kangles, they weren't hyping Kangles. They weren't selling Kangles. They weren't being paid to talk about Kangles. They wore it authentically. And I think that when you see a celebrity doing something authentically, Rihanna has her own brand. Right. When Rihanna talks about her brands, it is very clear that she is heavily involved with that. It is very authentic to her. She's making these products. 
And I think that that celebrity or influencer plus authenticity makes sense to me. Yeah. Actually, if you read, it's funny, I'm thinking about this now. If you read the uh, Beastie Boys book, it talks about how the fact that Run DMC, they were told what to wear. Hmm. So it goes back to your original point. They weren't wearing these clothes all the time. Someone was like telling them these are the kind of clothes they should be wearing. Really? So there you go. So they weren't authentically wearing Kangles? It seemed authentic to me growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, watching, looking at their, their album covers. But as it turns out, it wasn't. But they too had a posse of but people they did. building yeah. them so up. They, this is the influencer behind the influencer has been a thing with us probably forever. Wow. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on my conversation with Coltrane Curtis of Team Epiphany. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. Nina, we were talking about the interview, and one of the things you said you love was when Coltrane was talking about multicultural marketing and yeah. really the shift that he saw uh, after George Floyd's murder and companies realizing they had to do way more when it came to bringing economic empowerment to uh, black groups, to uh, Latino groups, and really confronting this fact that they had not been in these markets for a long time and trying to kind of speed run that. I think brands not reaching out to black and Latino communities of color has been around since the day zero, right? You know, it's a consumer who's always been overlooked uh, it's a consumer whose spending power has been overlooked. Um, and I would say the community's influence on general culture has often been overlooked, you know. Um, and through COVID, through Black Lives Matter, obviously, you know, it was a, a, you know, an opportunity for brands to understand this and figure out like, okay, we need to get back to this community because we need to continue to build these brands. But generally what happens is they look at engagement within communities of color and in communities of influence, you know, it's kind of like an adrenaline boost, right? And it's kind of like, you, or NOS, if, you, if you're racing cars, right? And you hit it, you're there. And then when you get back in the race, you get back up off the throttle, right? The brands that get it right are the brands that don't have a separate, you know, multicultural strategy. And that's kind of like, the bigger challenge here, but through COVID for us, you know, there's so many brands that came to us. And I think for us, we had to really figure out and look in the mirror and be like, do we actually really want to help this brand? Right. 
Like, because we have the opportunity to keep the lights on for them or turn them off because this is the time to go. And this is where the rubber meets the road. And we had to really identify, do we want to do this for this brand? You know, have they supported us? Have they supported our community? Or are they just looking for that adrenaline boost to kind of like get them over the hump? And so what we had to do is identify the ones that we wanted to work for. The ones that supported us, we supported them. And those are the only ones that we did. And we continue to work with them throughout. So, you know, I think for us, it's just more about intent. Um, it's more about, do you respect these communities? A lot of times when brands are marketing to communities of color, they're marketing to dormant insights, you know, um, negative ones, uh, surface level at best. And what we like to do is go a little deeper, right? Like there's this one brand that we're working with. I won't blow them up right now, but you know, they're like, you know, uh, black men love basketball. Okay, cool. That, that might be true. Okay. Let's say that, but what's the nuance? Is it gaming? Do we want to be like Mav or Rich Paul? Do we like the do we like the executive side of it? And there was no depth to the insight. And so this way, that's the reason why you get these kind of like really basic kind of campaigns and strategies talking to communities of color. And that's the ultimate reason why I started the agency because those don't speak to me. I'm pretty deep guy, I think, you know, I, I, I'm quite nuanced. And so what we're really trying to think when we say aspirational marketing to communities of color or, or aspirational multiculturalism, it's really speaking to those nuances and those in-depth insights that allow you to create a better strategy. Brands have to understand that the POC experience is not culturally uniform. And something that differentiates Team Epiphany is that they understand this because they are such a diverse team. There's 70% of them are women, 70% of them are POCs. And finally, as a last point, I really admire that he's so selective with who he takes on as clients when brands come to him to solve for like a quote unquote diversity problem. If he thinks it's virtue signaling, he won't do it. And does he lose money? Maybe. But he's not going to swoop in and help a company pretend it cares about their black and Latino consumers. Yeah, I think that those are the exact points that I got out of it as well. It's a deliberately diverse agency. When I, when I say diverse, I mean diverse like in the ad world. This is The ad world's a very white world. And Coltrane runs a shop that is very not white. But he goes beyond that and says it's diversity of thought also. He talked a lot about it. He's talked about this in a lot of interviews, this idea of diversity of thought within his company. And what he does is he then takes that to his clients and says, your consumers have exactly the same thing. Yeah. And this idea of coming to Team Epiphany to be able to connect with culture, you can't just airdrop in and suddenly be part of some culture experience. Yeah. What people have copied the influencer strategy, they figured out the social strategy. What they haven't figured out is how to be part of the communities that these brands want to get into. You really liked what he had to say about his hiring and how he assembles his team. Yeah, I thought that it was a very different way of putting together a company. He said he hires people who are experts in their areas, and then he trains them on how to be strategists. And his point of view is, I can train you mm -hmm. how to talk in front of a client. I can train you how to work within Team Epiphany. Mm -hmm. But you've got to come in with authenticity. You've mm -hmm. got to come in with a deep passion for this area where I need you to be an expert in. And I talked to him, this is before in, in the pre-interview, I was like, well, if someone has to be an expert in, I don't know, fashion or nightlife or whatever, does that mean they don't come to the office? Like, how often do you expect them to not be in the office? In my old newsroom days, if you saw journalists, reporters who were in the office, you're like, you're not doing your job. You're supposed to be mm -hmm. out of the office talking mm -hmm. to people. And Coltrane said, no, I expect them to be in the office. When they leave the office, they're then going to do the stuff that they're experts mm -hmm. in because that is all they want to do. 
Right. That's really smart. It's tapping into what they're going to do even when they're not paid exactly. to do it. Yeah. I thought that was genius. So, you know, like a lot of people who are in the transcending space seem to move really quickly and always have their finger on the pulse. What I really appreciated about him was when he talked about how he built his business. And he actually took it very slow and he was very deliberate. Let's take a listen to what he said about that. It took me 20 years to get to 100 people. You know, I had many opportunities to take on investors for my business and haven't. We own our agency 100% to this point, me and my wife. And so when you really think about it, we get the opportunity to grow organically, to grow at our pace, and to grow at the pace of the opportunities that we want to take. Um, and I think the opportunities we want to take, this is funny coming from a guy whose clients are like Lego and, you know, Coca-Cola and HBO, right? Like. It took us a very long time to get there, you know? And I think you have to actually, this was saying cliche, but I think you actually have to enjoy the voyage and the mission and the and the experience of getting there. Like, because once you're there, it's not as exciting, right? Because you're having to manage 100 people, you have to manage multiple offices, you know, you have to manage your, your healthcare provider and your insurance company, like all these different things. And that's not what I signed up for. What I signed up for and what I'm really great at is you know creating opportunities for brands to speak to consumers and so what i would say is really just think small and think passionately and do that extremely well because that's what brands actually need like we have a lot of clients at the agency that we've been with for eight ten we have some clients we've been with for 15 years and so it takes a long time to build that trust the same way it takes a long time to build trust within the consumer set and the con and the communities that you're marketing to and so for me i would say start small you know, and, and be passionate because there are going to be a lot of days when, you know, there are going to be a lot of, you know, squeaky wheels and, and ceiling leaks. And you have to come back to, do I really want to do this? One thing we didn't talk about in the interview, maybe we touched on it, was that he built this company with his wife. And he mentioned in the interview that even people who have left Team Epiphany will come back often with their families yeah. and and just introduce them around the office. And that's not just for his own enjoyment. He talks about the business aspect of that also, mm -hmm. this idea of building trust. And, you know, everyone says trust is built over time and it's lost in an instant. You build it up by, by having people seeing what their experience is going to be like with you. They know the people they're going to interact with. You get to come in and you're not starting from zero. You're starting at five already. And I think that's that's really important. But you can't grow very fast if you're doing that. Yeah. So, but he seems okay with that. He seems fine with that. He doesn't have a very capitalist mindset in that sense. Like he's okay saying no to clients that he doesn't want to take on. He's okay taking things slow and building it slowly to do it right, to enjoy the process of it, which I also think is really admirable. We're going to get to this in the next podcast, where which is called This Is Quick, where we do kind of short, uh, a lightning round with these guests. Mm hmm and one of the things he talks about is this idea of embracing being broke. He likes to feel like he's got nothing because he he's doing this to like he's doing this for the 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 experience and he wants to feel like he's got to hustle all the time. Yeah. I guess if you make money your ultimate goal, then you're always chasing that dollar. Right. right. And so yeah, you're optimizing for how do I get big? How do I make more right. money tomorrow easier than I made it than I did it yesterday? But I think he likes doing it the hard way. Right. So, Dan, there's this strategic business planning tool called SWOT, right? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And when thinking of your strengths, you should ask yourself, what is my unfair advantage? And then you take that and you use that in your marketing tools. If we were to ask 
what is Dan's unfair or undeniable advantage? What would that be? I think I am a true optimist. There are very few times where I go into a meeting or discussion or we're launching something where I don't assume it's going to work. I'm like, oh, this is going to work. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so cool. Sometimes it isn't, but I'm always convinced that it's going to be. And I think that I can get other people to maybe feel that same sense of excitement that I feel. It's very authentic. I'm just, I'm re- I get really excited about stuff. So maybe that's it. Yeah, I agree. And you know what else is your unfair advantage, Dan? You have an amazing head of hair. That's the takeaway. Yeah, here. that's the takeaway. What do you think about the conversation with Coltrane Curtis? How can companies be better marketers? How can ad agencies be better at authentically tapping into the culture? Let us know on LinkedIn using the hashtag ThisIsWorking. Or send us your voice. Make a voice memo on your cell phone and email it to us at thisisworking at linkedin.com. This Is Working is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Sarah Storm, Candice Weiner, Stephen Valdivia, Asaf Gidron, and Lolia Briggs. Joe DiGiorgi mixes our show. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop. I'm Nina Melendez, senior producer. And I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Be well and stay curious.